Welcome to the Unriveted Podcast, where we talk about technology initiatives such as digital transformation, artificial intelligence, and people. Today, John, we have a sponsor. I know you weren't expecting this, but our sponsor today is Fast CTO, results delivered per value and time. There we go. John. Excellent. All right. Tell us about uh, what we're going to talk about today. All right. Thank you, Martin. We have a special guest today on the Unriveted podcast. Uh, We are uh, welcoming Charles Williams, the current Vice President of Digital Experience and Strategy at Lumen Technologies. So, Charles, thanks for joining us today. Um, We'll start out keeping things kind of conversational. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you've ended up where you are today, and uh, let's just get us, uh, you know, up to speed so we can know you a little bit better. Great. Thanks for having me here, gentlemen. Really mm-hmm. appreciate it. So my name is Charles Williams. I'm a digital transformation executive or chief digital officer. So I will do digital strategy and roadmaps, customer experience, user experience, operating model, and implementing digital technologies. Most recently, as the vice president of digital experience and strategy at Lumen Technologies, formerly CenturyLink, Implemented a new e-commerce platform, launched digital products, implemented API marketplaces to really help drive revenue, implemented chatbot solutions to really improve the experience for customers and reduce transfers by about 70%. I've also done this work on the consulting side, working for companies such as Accenture and IBM, and doing similar work for companies such as Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, Walgreens, and Walmart, and help them do different engagements strategy around digital transformation. All right. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. I, and I know that we're going to go down this digital transformation front here with you, Charles. And yep. Um, if I recall, we're we're kind of titling this one the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't think we're referring to me at the end as the ugly, but maybe maybe we are. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, one of the things you always see, and I always tell people this, um, one, not just seeing people do it, but also myself, you're going to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and then sometimes I'll say okay, because sometimes okay can fit, as long as it's better than the ugly sometimes. So that's why I always talk about it with people so they understand it, because, you know, the best way to learn sometimes is because you have some battle scars on your arms. It's not always because you've gotten a parade for something that you've done that's been fantastic. Those are good too. I love those. But sometimes you learn from those things where you didn't do it so well or you saw people who didn't do it well. And you took the money. Very true. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> All right. Martin, I'll turn it over to you. You've you've got you've got a, a case study or something, I guess, for us to to go through. Is that is that the plan? Yeah, Charles. Charles was gonna talk us through um a couple of an example or two of of the journey. So, hey, Charles, we'll turn the mic over to you. All right, great. So I'll talk about a a case study. And this was a client, CPG industry. They distribute their products through distributors that are all over the world. And those distributors operate in a, I'll call it a decentralized manner. 
they have some ties to the corporate company on being able to do that, but they operate digital decentralized manner. So if you think about digital third-party marketplaces on the B2C side or the B2B side, but specifically on the B2C side, so you think about taking advantage of being on Amazon.com or Walmart.com or any of those websites, that's a significant piece of revenue now for CPG companies. And if you think about, if you're not there on that shelf digitally, they call it the digital shelf, you're missing it on sales. Similar to if you're in the grocery store and you go in the grocery store and you don't have the product there, you're missing out on sales. So our client was trying to take advantage of this because if you think about this client, they're globally, they're a Fortune 500 company and they operate, operate in a decentralized manner with all these distributors kind of operate similar but different based upon the country that they're in. And they're the ones that actually receive their information and they're responsible for doing all the promotions and getting it out on the equivalent of Amazon.com or Walmart.com. But in, let's say, maybe in France, in China, New Zealand, Australia, going across the entire globe. So the, the problem that they were trying to solve was that they were missing those opportunities. So think about it. Think about if you pay to be on Amazon.com and you don't have the right product information up there, you've missed out on that sale. Right. And so clients saw that they were missing out a significant amount of e-commerce opportunity there. So they had to come up with a platform to make sure that they could make provide all those distributors the right product information so they could apply it in each of their markets based on the way they need to do it at the right time. So they were not missing on that sales. Now they had to come up with a platform that was somewhat standardized, but could be configured very easily based upon the nuances of each country, which was tough because these distributors had a lot of power and they run their own businesses. So it was tough to kind of get them all on board. So the first piece of that was really understanding and always talk about digital transformations, understand the problem that you're trying to solve or the business objective that you're trying to obtain. From there, you talk about who your customers are, what their needs are. Mm -hmm. We started to define what that new experience, what we defined what the current experience was and what was broken with them, what the pain points were. And then we defined what the future state experience was going to be around that. And then worked cross-functionally. And the tough, other tough piece of this was there was, there were probably about three or four different companies that were engaged on this engagement. So the consulting company I was working for, the client's company, there were probably about two or three software vendors who own different parts of the, this platform based on the solution that we we're plugging in. And, and then a couple, one or two other consulting companies. So you can imagine trying to come together as one team to make sure that we were all going down the right path. So initially we all weren't gelling as a team. So we had to get there. So we work collectively as a team. So we said, we are this team. We work together when we're working together. We're not doing this as separate organizations. We're doing this as this team that's going to deliver this solution to our client, allow our client to be successful. So once we define what that experience was going to be, we looked at the digital capabilities that we needed to have, like, we need to have Informatica to be able to get the product information out of the SAP systems. We needed a dam to be able to get the photos and the photographs and that. We needed a data mesh to be able to bring that together. And then we used a 
I'll call it a digital shelf solution called Salsify to kind of bring that all together and then be able to provide it to the end user so then they could post it on those different uh, third-party digital marketplaces. So we worked together on that and we defined what that was. We went through and started defining those solutions. Part of that, which is a key piece around the change management, so we had to make sure as we went to each country, we got them on board way in advance, probably about six months before we actually wanted to launch so we could get them on board around what we were doing, uh, make sure they were comfortable with it, and address any nuances that we had to take into account to be able to launch a solution in the marketplace. And that was critical on being able to get them both on board. So as we went through that, we developed that solution, we were able to roll that out, and they were able to go after billions of dollars in revenue that they were missing. And it may have been able to take advantage of that. So if you think about third-party marketplaces, this was critical. It's for any CPG company or any company that's really trying to take advantage of that because not all your customers are going to come directly to your website. This is um this is this is fun. I, I have this visualization and you know, some of it's comical, some of it's not, because I've lived this journey. And you know, um and and and, and you you know all too well that when you have so many parties involved in the in in a solution um it's it's not like they're all rowing the boat the same direction and, and the goal is to get the boat to move that that corner to the left and nail it right and uh, there's nothing acceptable in between and so you got the one rowing to the right one rowing to the left hopefully you can steer them and course them to go into that corner um what are some of the fun uh, there might be some fun examples in the middle of all this that you, your, your tales from the crypt that you might be able to share around that. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because the engagement had already started when I joined. And usually, and I found this in my career, usually when I've joined an engagement and there's been a change, it means there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. Well, when I joined, all the teams were kind of operating in their own silos. So you can imagine they're trying to deliver a solution, a holistic solution, and all the teams are operating in their own silo because everyone's trying to protect their turf. All right. Even the client, right? There's part of the client like, well, we know how to do this. We don't need your help here. So two parts of that. One, I, I came on board to be the program manager of that, but also there are parts of it that we owned on being able to deliver that, like, you know, designing what the process was going to be, being able to get the data out of the SAP systems, being able to get all the product pictures and imagery out of the different dam systems, be able to get that out. And then there are other components that we're imagining moving forward. So I had to come on board. Initially, people didn't trust me, obviously, because they, they were, I was with the big consulting company. So they were like, we know what you all are going to do. You're going to try to take all of our business. We're all going to be out the door. I said, look, we're one team. If we don't work together, this will not be successful. And I started to outline certain where I saw gaps when I came on board. And I said, look, I've seen this before, not because I've always done it right, but sometimes I haven't done it right. And here's what has happened in the past. We have to work together. So I became also the advocate in a couple of ways. One is as we did our weekly updates or executive briefings, I would allow them to own components of that because I said, look, you're managing that work stream. You should present it. I shouldn't present that piece. I should understand it in detail around being able to do that. So they felt more comfortable because I was allowing them to present the area that they were working on. In addition, I told them, what are the issues that you're facing or risks to the engagement? Because I need to help you solve for that. 
And so as they started to see my behavior around working as one team, they learned that I was going to make sure that they were going to be successful. And if I was going to work for them on being successful, they knew that, hey, we'll make the client successful. We'll also be successful moving forward. So that's how I had to earn their trust. Yeah, uh, that's probably one of the most challenging things of any digital transformation is not the oh, yeah. technology or that's, you know, the tools that are involved, but just getting everyone on the same page in agreement uh, around how things are going to, you know, how things are going to change, right? I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's just human nature too. I think, when to avoid uh, going down the path of, of change, especially if you're comfortable with something. But when you show people you can do it in a better way than maybe what they are used to, then maybe they're more open to um, what's coming down the line. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the thing I tell people all the time. I'll get people to say, well, you know, why do these things fail? And I've worked for Fortune 500 companies, medium-sized companies, turn around. It's people. Change management is a key enabling capability that you have to have in place. You have to get people on board. You have to work as a team. You can't do digital transformation in a silo. You can't do it on your own. It is not a, it's not individual sport. It is a team sport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. When I, um, early in my career, when I was put in a, a leadership role for software development and actually other projects uh, that had hardware also, um, I, I presented the concept of a team sport, like, like a ball sport, because I grew up playing you know, whether it's a round ball or a funny looking ball called a football or, or a little ball that looks like a baseball, you know, somebody has the rock at one moment and the rock yeah. is moving from one person to another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not always about the selfishness of give me the rock. It's about spreading the rock around and and sharing the joy of, you know, the success of of what happens with it. Does it go through a net? Does it cross a line? Uh, is it hit out of the park? You know, all these metaphors play well in a team sport when you think about because uh, I played a lot of a little bit of football and a little bit of basketball and I coached both um, something about uh, the the game of football I always think is like a, a like a 3d chess game and I think mm -hmm. about you know what a real football coach is all about it's not about the grit it's about outthinking your opponent and their and their strategy and you know yeah. everybody's fighting the personnel game and you know do you have the best the right personnel and do you have the backup when one goes down? And much goes into into a, a technology initiative, and you can treat it the same. But if you're infighting with each other, and you know your teammate next to you decides, "Hey, I'm not going to block that guy running mm -hmm. in here intentionally and make you look bad behind me." Yes, that makes the person behind them look bad, but it also makes the whole team look bad. So, <laughs> you know, the the sports analogy works really well. Um, have you run across scenarios where people, you know, they, they could be a challenge, you know, they, they could be, they could be interesting to work with and maybe some stories about how you turn them. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. It's funny because that client now I helped that client. I tried to help that client get a role and now he lives around the corner from me and we're probably going to have coffee or tea probably next week. I just, ping me on LinkedIn. But I remember it was for a large retailer. They're in the, the pharmacy space, so in retail pharmacy space. And they had, at this point in time, they didn't have a loyalty program. They were the major retailer that didn't have a loyalty program at that point in time. If you can think about a major retailer not having one, they didn't. 
And so <laughs> they were initially doing a pilot and they were only doing it in about 70 stores. So, you know, they weren't ready to scale. So initially I came on board and I usually run into this several times as a consultant. Oh, you're bringing in a consultant. I know more than a consultant. I was like, look, I always leverage with the client, whether the client or if I'm coming on board to a new company, the intellectual capital that's already there. I always leverage that. I never say, oh, let's throw that away. What have you done? And then let's see if I can plus that up. So we came, I came on board initially to say, hey, look, what do we need to be able to scale this so that you can roll this across, you know, over 7,000 plus locations because this can help you generate millions of dollars in revenue, hundreds of millions of dollars in incremental revenue by having this loyalty program based upon the business case that had been put together. So initially came on board, did an assessment up front the first couple of weeks. I was getting pushed back because I couldn't get any information from the client. I would get the roadblock. He wouldn't want to talk about it. And it was around the kind of marketing piece. And then I remember being in a meeting and asking a specific question. At that point in time, he knew that there were some things missing because of the way the question that I, the way I asked the question, there was only one way you could answer that question and it was going to expose him. He's like, hey, let's talk about it. And I said, look, I'm not here to expose you. I'm here to help you on being successful because at the end of the day, if you all are successful, then I'm successful. You'll hire me to do additional work. And frankly, I like making my clients successful. That's one of the things I enjoy about doing that type of work. So we went through that and I brought them along. So we worked together as a team as we went through the workshops, talking about where we needed to go strategically, where the gaps were, helped define the whole roadmap for the whole loyalty program worked across the entire company on their behalf to other parts of, you know, the retail organization, dot-com organization on developing the strategy to be able to launch it as well as the roadmap, including finance, analytics, customer support. And when they realized that I was working on their behalf and that I was helping them to get the funding that they needed to actually scale and launch, that's when they started to realize that, hey, Charles is working on my behalf. And as I said, you know, we're, we became friends later on. And, We'll probably have coffee next week. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Can I can I throw a a a, a curveball type question out there, Martin yeah. and Charles? It's not I, it's not that bad. It's not. I might deviate from the good, the bad, and the ugly, though. But I yeah. just wanted to. We're we're closely approaching the end of so, our conversation. John, so. is it going to be a two seam <laughs> or a four seam hold on the ball? <laughs> we'll just do two. We'll just do two. <laughs> just the two seam fastball on this one. The four seam, I don't think so. So uh another topic that we talk about on uh Unriveted is about the development of artificial intelligence. Uh oh, yes. so you've obviously been in the digital transformation uh transformation game for mm -hmm. a long time. Um and uh I'm sure that things have evolved over time and how people perceive what does a digital transformation mean? And if you ask someone 20 years ago, you know, they'd give you another story and, uh, you know, you ask someone now, and I would say there's probably some element of we need AI. They might not even know what they're asking for, but they're like, well, if it doesn't have AI, it's not a digital transformation. So I'd be interested in any stories or uh, insights you have on uh, how AI is uh, impacting 
uh, the digital transformation space and where you see it maybe going in the not too distant future? I think AI will help transform several companies around how they do things. The first mm-hmm. thing I talk about AI is I always tell people, well, AI has been around for several years. Now, what generative AI did, it was that next point of evolution, that critical, I'll call it compelling event that says, yes, it's arrived here or in you reach that next phase. But if you think about AI and analytics, it's been around for years, that type of, mm-hmm. you know, that subject, that type of technology, but now generative AI is taking it to the next level. So I absolutely believe that companies have to incorporate AI into what they are doing. I believe they should have been doing that years ago, because if you think about AI and you think about generative AI, it all starts at the data layer. If you don't have good data, generative AI won't work. A regular AI chatbot won't work. It won't work because you don't have the right data and garbage in equals garbage out. You'll hear people talk about chat GPT giving them crazy information because you have to check it. Now, if you think about the evolution of AI, is thinking about like the, the last part of AI was, hey, if I implement a chatbot like I did at Lumen Technologies, that allowed a customer to be able to come in. We trained it based on customer intents. And so it could help hey, if you trained it, it could do this. It was like, you need to handle invoice, I can help you handle invoice. If you need, you have a ticket, I'll help you handling that ticket that you submitted. Regenerative AI allows you to take that data and the generative AI can now have that conversation with you, take the real-time data and make some inferences around that to say, hey, here's what we could potentially do for you. So I think it's critical. It will help on the customer service side. I think those are real easy hits that comes you can take advantage of. It can also help on the marketing side. So think about someone coming to your website and they're trying to figure out the right product or service to buy. A solution like that can help interact with the customer to really drill down on making the right product recommendation for that customer. And in essence, as you start to automate the back end of that could potentially complete the sale or complete the sale on your behalf. So, AI will be used in a number of ways on being able to help generate revenues, be able to get you operating efficiencies, and it will improve the customer experience. The key thing is for each company, each company needs to figure out where they start first because the solution will not be the same for every company on where they should start and the results that they'll get. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds like a lot of uh, applications of what Martin and I like to talk about uh, uh augmented intelligence rather than necessarily artificial intelligence. How are people going to take these tools to improve their jobs rather than say your job's gone because it's completely automated. Some of those will exist surely, but I think a lot of the examples you gave are more, how do we take uh, these tools to augment what people can do uh, to make our jobs better, uh, quicker and more efficient. Absolutely. It's been uh... This has been excellent. I think a uh, good time to start wrapping up here. And uh, Charles, it's been a real pleasure having you on here on Unriveted for with John and I. And, you know, in the future, we'd love to have you come back and tell us more uh, tales from the crypt as we go forward. <laughs> uh, you know, well, we are in, ha- in in the month of October and, uh, you know, some people like to get a little scary and maybe you'll 
you'll come back with something scary to tell us on the next trip. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for the Unriveted crew. Um, we are about to sign out. Thank you.